right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us again today for the next episode of the Cybercast. My guest today is Alex Dahl, the founder and managing general partner of 1011 Ventures. Alex, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Tom. It's great to see you again. We've worked together in the past and uh, really, really excited to have you on here, sharing your perspectives with us and really just thinking about, hey, like we're, we're taking cool things forward in, in the cyber market and Really interested to see sort of what your perspectives are on some of the key things and the really cool stuff happening in cyber. Um, for our audience out there, I'd like to introduce Alex. He's not your typical guest. So I'm just gonna give you a little bit of background and Alex, keep me honest if there's anything in here that's a, that's a fabrication or if I'm, if I'm completely botching it. But um, you're the, so you're the founder and managing general partner of 1011 Ventures. Um, you, that 1011 is the industry's only VC fund that's focused completely on cybersecurity. And well, we, we were the first today. There's a few, just there's our first, honestly. There's a few <laughs> that are only at the time we were founded, we were the first. Okay. The, so that's, uh, we're going to, we're going to stick with that. You invest globally. And another really unique and differentiating point about 1011, um, certainly that I know as well, too, is that you invest in stage agnosticity. So you don't really care what stage a company is in. Um, you have a you have a joint investment alliance partner that's KKR. So you basically go in on investments with KKR. Um, you've raised nearly half a billion dollars for this fund. Twenty seven total cybersecurity companies that you funded. Yep. And you've achieved six exits, including Ping Identity to Vista, Hexadite to Microsoft. Silence to BlackBerry, Twistlock to Palo Alto, Veridin to FireEye, and Jask to Sumo Logic. Correct. Correct. Man, I'm just I'm I'm just reading I'm just reading this and I'm just jealous, I guess. But let's see, you've also had a lot of operational roles across finance, investment banking, um, investing, software, security. Um, you founded PGP Corporation in 2002. You brought forward an email, an, an email like almost the secure email standard open uh, PGP. And then from there with that, you sort of led that into selling the assets of network associates, which became McAfee and then ultimately a acquisition by Symantec. Correct. All yeah. right. I got bought it out of, bought it out of McAfee network associates, sold it to Symantec and we ran it for eight years in the middle as an independent company called PGP Corp. Right on. And the final bullet point, final two bullet points um, I'll, I'll put out here also are once you, once you completed that acquisition, you sort of dug squarely into cybersecurity as an angel investor, as an advisor, an independent director, um, entrepreneur in residence at Coastal Ventures, and then paired with, paired with KKR to really sort of cement that investment strategy, which ultimately became 1011. Yeah. All right. You got it. All right. I think, I think I've covered all that. Well, anyway, awesome background, super impressive. And the fact that you've got a, you've got a BS also in systems engineering also tells us that you are not the quintessential typical uh, venture capitalist investor also. So we'll do, we'll dig into that a little bit and uh, let's, let's just get going. So with that diversity in your, in your professional background, what pushed you toward investing in cybersecurities, you sort of pivoted a little bit from the operational side or the vendor side. Yeah, well, that was really it. It was sort of a, a logical place to invest. Number one, I knew people and had networks from, you know, eight years at PGP. Um, we had raised a lot of capital from the venture world. We had talked to a lot of, we'd done three acquisitions at PGP, interfaced a lot of investors through that uh, and, and looked at a lot more. And then we had, you know, of course, in you know, looking to go public or sell ourselves. We had a lot of dialogue with a lot of the bigger companies in the industry. And so we were kind of a mid-stage company uh, at PGP and had grown up from a startup. And, you know, it, it was kind of an interesting, you know, spot in, in the security industry. And it's kind of what I knew. It's where I had a network. And, you know, honestly, I didn't know right away when, when we sold PGP to Semantic, I didn't know right away I would stay in cyber. I, uh, it, it's just kind of where um, I had places I could help people. It's where I knew people, it's where I had a network. It was, it was places where, you know, I think one of the, one of the key things is, you know, money as an investor, one of the things I learned really early was 
dollars are cheap, but I even thought about the same things, you know, VCs using companies. How are you going to be different? I sort of thought about that for myself in the venture industry. How am I going to differentiate from an entrepreneur who's walking in the door? You know, what, what do I bring beyond capital? What's my advantage? And, you know, it, it was pretty obvious pretty quick that it was the operational background from PGP was how I could be useful beyond just money and useful beyond just capital. And I, so that's was sort of the easy story. You know, the, the, the bigger thing is, as zooming out a little bit, you mentioned that you know, systems engineering, I kind of was always drawn to hard technical problems and trying to simplify the story as a, as a great marketer in the cyber industry, Tom, you, you honestly can hopefully that resonates with you, but cyber is a hard area, right? And marketing in it is particularly hard and telling, you know, on the one hand, you can't dumb the cyber industry down so much that it's one, two, three point click by like a lot of other areas. Right. And then you you want to preserve some of what's unique about every company in describing a company in a brand. On the other hand, you can't, you don't have a half hour to describe the full architecture and do code reviews. So you, it's really an area that forces you to find that nexus of, you know, uh, the right amount of complexity without betraying what's unique about every company. And cyber, it, to me, is fascinating in that regard. It always has been because it's, it is really complicated underneath. Yet a lot of the challenges as you get bigger is, 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 simplifying the complexity right and it's and it's a challenge because there's you know there's probably we're probably zooming in on boy four thousand cybersecurity companies and you know investment has continued to pour into cyber from at pretty much uh, uh, uh almost 2019 2000 or early 2020 pace um maybe with a with maybe a quarter maybe around this time last year slight slowdown perhaps but it, it really, there's, you know, where the, the challenges in differentiation, hiring, um, being faster, better, cheaper, cloud-based versus on-prem. I mean, there's so many different things that, that go into sort of the, the foundational makeup of each cyber company. And certainly from a differentiation standpoint, you hit it on the, you hit it on the head. There's only so much good versus evil that you can play up. <laughs> You know, there's only so much fear mongering that you can do because that's, you know, it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily a useful tactic because everybody knows that they're at risk. Um, and then also to your point, what I liked what you said, Alex, was simplification. There's really complex problems and you can't throw more complexity at a complex problem and think that, you know, the work product is going to end up being something that is really simple, right? And it's, I think, simplification of solving that problem statement is, is key. So it's, I, I think, I mean, I, that resonates with me, obviously from the marketing side, but you know, you've got some really interesting differentiators in terms of number one, I think how you invest, what you look for. Um, and then looking at sort of uh, different stages. I mean, you've probably seen a lot of different companies come and go um, from the standpoint of early stage, late stage. What Give us an example of a really interesting early stage venture and, and maybe, the, maybe the outcome is maybe an acquisition or an, or an IPO, and then maybe something that you got in a little bit later on, later stage, that, that also was pretty interesting. I think the, the people listening to this would definitely be interested in that. Yeah, sure. So the, the, an, a, a great, a fun early stage story, um, you know, is a story of Twistlock, right? We met the team there and they're a uh, uh, they, they were ultimately acquired by Palo Networks uh, about three, four years into our investment. So that's the, the punchline at the end of this story. But when we met them, it was, uh, you know, uh, Ben and Dima were X8200 unit group, came from Israel, had worked at Microsoft in, in Israel. And um, they had a seed investor were, that was introducing them to, you know, Series A investors. Um, and, you know, containers wasn't even really quite yet or cloud native those were early days i mean really we were talking about docker and docker security if you remember that right. <laughs> um and you know we we got involved and it was really a bat on the rise of that ecosystem and i uh you know one of the things we love to talk about in security investing is you know the there's so many digital ecosystems that evolve i'm gonna twist locks the story of containers and the rise of kubernetes ecosystem containers but this is emblematic of a lot of security investing where 
you know, people's trust in sort of a, a core new technology. Where, and today you could use analogies today of cloud, uh, mobile, multi-cloud, um, all, all these kind of things are new ecosystems um, where digital transformation is happening. And one of the things that gives faster rise is people's confidence in the security infrastructure around it. And this is a theme we've come back to a lot. This was a theme we invested in Twistlock. You know, in your early days, you invest in, you know, an idea, a concept, you're not, you're not looking at, so it's a lot about, you know, the old adage of horses and jockeys, right? Is it the product? Is it the management team, right? And both matter. The truth is both really matter a lot, right? We, it, it, particularly at early stage, you, you, you're going to talk to people about an idea. It's not even really, the products aren't even really fully baked or advanced. And, you know, a lot of founders think their products are done and fully baked, but they haven't really survived contact with customers yet. And so, and uh, when, when customers weigh in, you, you end up finding a lot of things that, that aren't done in the products in series A's and B's. You know, I think you get to a hundred or 200 customers, your products are baked, you know, uh, to the point where you can say you, you really have had success with them in colliding with, with the marketplace successfully. Um, and so, you know, Twistlock's an A round. We, you know, end up getting involved and, you know, they, they, the container ecosystem comes fast. The DevOps movement comes fast in behind that. Um, and, you know, it, it ends up, you know, rapid customer adoption. They end up with hundreds of customers in the first two years. We get involved and help build their sales and marketing operations in, in the United States and grow the business. They do a, a fast B round, a fast C round. And, uh, you know, they had great opportunities, great options, but, you know, Palo Alto Networks had a great vision on, you know, what they want to do in cloud security. And this was, ended up being a big piece of it. And so we ended up uh, supporting the founder's decision to, to sell the company. Uh, it was about $400 million sale in, in a couple of years and really uh, emblematic of, it wasn't really a, a direct security bet, but it was a security as a supporting actor, really on the rise of containers and it worked. That, that was the, the core story to the DevOps movement and containers as, a, as an ecosystem and the securing of that and the trust round that would make that go faster. And that was really our bat on the team there. We, we sort of like that um, uh, play in a lot of areas around the world and a lot of, you know, tech ecosystems, but a fun one there. Um, then a later stage story, you know, uh, we, we got the opportunity to invest in Ping Identity was one of the first investments we did. And I think everyone knows about identity, you know, usernames, passwords, log on to Active Directory. When people don't understand some of the harder parts and the complexity of identity, it's not just about that first authentication, but all the controls around authorization, all the connectors that you build in single sign-on in an enterprise to all the other things, uh, you know, the hundreds of applications. Today, that's even evolved further. That, that was the time we invested in Ping. It was, you know, uh, big revenue, lots of Fortune 500 companies, an example of a growth stage company. We weren't really assessing the code. We were assessing Ping's ability to play in that market. And, you know, the incumbents there at the low end were things like, you know, consumer identity, Facebook Connect, user passwords, login with Google, Google single sign-on. All of those were, you know, small business identity things. We really believe the high end of the market needed a, a platform story that, you know, could do things like multi-factor authentication, some, some you know, continuous authentication, authentication uh, uh, metrics, uh, behavior analysis around identity connections, to other systems, those really being a high end of the market that will be much more protected and, and a much, uh, much differentiated. And so there's really about what is the segment of the market in, in a later stage that you're gonna be able to play in and will it grow and you know the, the, the ability to compete. You know, there's some logical, at the time we invested in Ping, there was two, three, four candidate private companies that looked like they were the leaders in the growth stage. And mm -hmm. it's really about getting name and awareness out there and, and growth. Really cool. And I, and I think, again, that's a, it's truly a differentiator for you guys. And obviously I have experience working with, with both you and Mark, but I think it's also, you can, you can assess where to plug in, not just money, but your resource, your connections and sort of extend that network effect to to, to new companies that, that you're, that you're involved with and, and helping build. 
um, which I think is interesting too, because I, you know, there's so there's obviously there's obviously a lot of PE firms and a lot of different VCs who sort of stay right at one area. They're they're seed in A, or they they come in in growth stage only, and they write three hundred million dollar checks and things like that. So that it's really interesting that you can sort of you can you can run that that spectrum of companies at different stages. I think that's really interesting, and I think that's also that speaks to the operational background also that you've that you've had in your career. Yeah, and you know, the funny thing there, just like when you're in a company, when I was at PGP, you know, one of the things we, we built a customer-centric company, right? The funny thing in the venture world, no one had built sort of a customer-centric company, the customers being the entrepreneurs, right? Like we, we sort of, underneath the veneer of security, which we already mentioned was we were the, the first, which, you know, the, the finance world that invests in venture funds doesn't think that way. They think more like, we're a seed or a venture firm that's focused on the West Coast. We're a, you know, a firm that's focused on a geographic region of the world. And while there have been some industry funds, but no one really thought of cyber as its own, in, you know, industry. They sort of thought of it as, is, is it just tech, right? Is it just right. an, an element of technology? And, you know, we always felt cyber was really different um, be, just because of some of the things we alluded to earlier, but the tech is so complicated, right? It's not like... Uh, just a SaaS application where, you know, you're disrupting an enterprise business workflow and you're using the cloud to do it better, faster, cheaper. You know, there's, there's different, the, 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 the product cycle times in cyber because the threat environment dictates the product cycle times are just so much faster. And so you, you have to be very quick with R&D. You have to be sort of very customer centric in your response. And you know, that's the way we built our, our, our company. That's the way we sort of tell all of our companies they have to be. And it's sort of funny, we, we say we're, a, we're cybersecurity people having to do a venture now, but we really think about servicing the entrepreneurs whatever stage they're at. And, um, you know, it gives us a bit of an advantage. I think it's unique, but it's not how, it wasn't how the finance world wanted us to start. They, right. they sort of didn't think, they, we were sort of, uh, we had to get over that hurdle when we were formed. Now that we're on our third fund, it's, it's uh, you know, accepted, but we were a little bit of entrepreneurs or disruptors inside the venture world, which was fun. We sort of wear that badge probably. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Really cool. And you've, you've talked, I've talked a little bit um, already, Alex, about some of the trends that, you, that you've seen. And I think that, you know, the examples of, of both Twistlock and Ping um, represent a couple of, uh, of truly in, innovative areas. What are, what are you seeing today? Because obviously those were investments you made a few years ago. How quickly does the, the it, have you seen the, the cybersecurity landscape in terms of like the pace of innovation and then the amount of, the amount of, of continued challenges that organizations are facing, not just the threat landscape, but operational challenges. And you know, it's like, you could, you could write a book on, on how many issues that the CISO has to face on a, on a daily basis. What are you seeing today that's, that's super cool that you think is, all right, like I love this. And then this is kind of where I see this. This is kind of where I see this going. Yeah, I, one, one of our favorite areas right now continues to be, you know, the, the world talks about cloud a lot. And uh, we've said for a few years now, we actually think it's hybrid clouds, right? So hybrid clouds sort of adopting now is hybrid clouds, plural, you know, and that's sort of a nod to uh, it's so the, the, the cloud is so dynamic. I think it started as a place where people right clicked. It was a place where you did file storage instead of your local drive. Then it became a place you can run your SaaS apps from. Now, then it became sort of a replacement for the data center. You know, in the last couple of years and what we're investing into a few years right now that where, you know, the, the cloud is sort of so much more. It's a set of APIs. It's a development platform. Really, it's the, the cloud is the infrastructure layer for companies to build against. And then it's a deployment option for companies, right? And the, you can use bits and pieces of the, the public cloud players to, you know, really design an architecture for a company, right? And yeah. that's kind of, we're seeing that really accelerate in the last few years. People talk about like the DevOps movement, and but people miss a little bit that they're, they're relying on Amazon, Azure, Google, and you know the multiple geographic zones and the ability to tie into the APIs that are now available in those. 
in the cloud, you know, code repository, the cloud is code repositories that can then be distributed across multiple places. We're seeing really hybrid clouds really change um, and accelerate. Everybody's been using cloud. Honestly, I think go back 10 years and you can see the early signs of the clouds coming, the clouds gonna be big. Mm -hmm. It feels like in the last year or two, and some of that of course was the COVID forced use of it, but even before COVID, this trend of you know the cloud you could almost put 10 20 30 adjectives underneath cloud now and the cloud is SaaS. the cloud is infrastructure as a service the cloud is a deployment option for companies that are building next-gen security platforms um, it's the cloud is a disaster and backup tool right and you can go on and on and i you can go 30 deep i you could throw out five for me too tom in a minute right, the, right. and that, that that's new, I think, in the last year or two, where it's not just one of those things or the recognition that it is all of those things. And how do you then adjust if you're a CISO and a customer and your supply chain third party, if you're a vendor building a next gen disruptive security company, how do you really tap into all those things? Right. And that's that I think is we're in sort of a new era a little bit on that. And we're investing in, into companies that are already aware of that and taking mm -hmm. advantage of that. We, we think this is one of the, the big themes for the next few years, um, you know, hybrid clouds, <laughs> plural and lots of clouds and tapping into lots, tapping into the clouds in so many ways. Very cool, right? Well, I mean, it, in terms of in terms of investing, obviously the Cyware Cybercast, Alex, and yeah. you, as of yesterday, you will have been a, a, a new investor in Cyware, so welcome. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Well, we're welcome super to, excited to be involved with uh, with Cyware. We're 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 really excited to have you guys as well too. We you know and it's you know it's great because we, we've certainly worked together in the past and it's uh, it's going to be a fun ride. What do you think about? So what is it about Cyware that you've seen that's that's different and that's interesting and you know just any any real dynamic about what you've seen as part of the business and the team and things like that um, that helped kind of, you know, get you guys ingrained in, okay, like this is kind of interesting. It's next gen SOAR, it's threat intelligence, and it's really taking that sort of connect the dots path towards cyber fusion. Yeah, so uh, the obvious starting place was the, uh, was the sort of place we got introduced to the company was from some common friends and the investor side and board members had great respect for that group. So we, you know, when, we get the interdictions from certain, you know, quality. We we take note of where they're from. Then met the team, right? You meet a news and you see his background. One of the things we love to invest in is an entrepreneur who lived the customer problem, and with a news background and, and and prior life at City and sort of building some of the things that he I think he wishes he had when he was sort of a customer and, and saw some of right. the pain points. That is just a fantastic dynamic for us as an investor and so that was and and he's just so passionate about the problem set and the customer journey that Cyware's on related to the team obviously we were thrilled uh to see that you were involved as you alluded to we uh got the opportunity to work with you at, at a prior company and we where we love um you know working with management teams that we've respected and had success with before and to see your involvement here and particularly in the area in marketing you know i alluded to earlier in the problem you know marketing and security is a hard problem right and the fact that uh, we, we knew you were a proven commodity in in security marketing and we know that cyware that's an area with this round that cyware is going to want to go attack a little bit um and and do some things and we were we were thrilled to see that um, you know candidly we, we wish to take credit for your involvement but Anoush has already had already recruited you in <laughs> which was a huge plus for us. Thank uh, you. you know then uh, the just uh, I think the combination one of the most unique things we we really saw with Cyware was you know the combination of I think a couple spaces the 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 tip platform the threat intelligence platform has been an area that people have been. Uh, trying to solve for a while and using some services, but the platform itself with things like sticks, taxi, all the trying to get some standards around the way to get data and threat and, and signal off that, but then really combining that with SOAR. So TIP and SOAR together, we thought was really interesting and not a lot of companies, frankly, no one had that we had come across had, had been 
you know, doing those two things together with then with a cloud first architecture. Some of the things I talked about in the cloud earlier, very germane uh, to the Cyware investment where sure. we saw the use of uh, uh, the cloud as, as its infrastructure delivery capability in so many ways and really customer deployment option not to be undervalued. <laughs> uh, and the packaging up uh, two, three, four different types of solutions that Cyware offers and, and starting customers where they're at, whether it's on the tip side or the source side or, and then, you know, probably the last thing that we just loved that we thought was really unique was the tie-in with the ISACs, right? And Anuj and, and the team had, you know, a lot of companies in security had been trying to leverage the ISACs and sort of, you know, hey, we're going to sell you some stuff. Uh, can we sell stuff to your members was what I think they really wanted. Right. It was really interesting to see what Cyware had done where you're really enabling the ISACs with your tech. You're, you're, they're using your tech to actually exactly. do their, to enable their core mission of cyber sharing. And one of the reasons the ISACs, I think, you know, what a fantastic idea right? Let's share security intelligence in, in industries. You know, it, it's with even on the Hill in the last couple of weeks and months, there's been great discussion about the need for uh, collective security. And that's been one of the core mission of the ISACs for a long time. Think things like liability and things like just the tech ability to do it in the right ways hasn't been around. And I think Cyware, I think has great opportunity to help enable some of that and really get us towards collective security, industry collective security without some of the liability and the technical challenges that have plagued that in the past. Um, just, just a great set of opportunity that Cyware has around it. And, and those are some of the reasons we, we were really excited about this company. Sure. It's and and you know, thank you for the kind words too. And I, I think the you, when we think about the ISACs too, I think what's what's great about cybersecurity, and I think like for my for my seat as VP of marketing, Alex, I sort of being ingrained now, um, ninety days into this role at Cyware, learning about the uh, about the ISAC use cases. As you know, we have 12, 12 ISACs as customers, and we've got more on tap that, that we're close to bringing on. But you learn about these use cases, and it's really interesting industry to industry. Sure, they all face two things. One, they face a, 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 an evolving threat landscape. But the second thing is they all sort of seem to have this shared, I'm not going to say a lack of resource, but almost a, a lack of a way to share threat intelligence that's easy and to your point earlier rapid like super agile sharing and then being able to take action off of those and a great you know I'd love to hear what your thoughts might be on something like this but I got off a call this morning with the MTS ISAC which is basically it's it's the marine and transportation ISAC and it covers all of the all of the ports nationally all of the I mean to even just think about the logistics that go back and forth and all of the different companies along the supply chain that are involved with securing ports, right? Getting intelligence that there's a huge shipment of drugs coming into port of New Orleans or Miami or, or, you know, or, or even into San Francisco. It's the, it's in, it, it, it blows my mind. <laughs> all the different use cases and the, the ability for a lot of these organizations to kind of pull together, um, not just because they're using cyware technology, but we're enabling that at that level of activity. It is, it's mind blowing when you hear those industry use cases. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, you know, makes a lot of sense. The, the, uh, so many industries have, you know, think of themselves as slightly different problems yet, at the core, a lot of them are the same, right? And, it, and it, they don't know it. And I think, you know, the, the ISACs have been a great, the mission from the beginning and the formation has been, you know, very laudable. And again, collective security, rapid sharing, you know, and I, I think, you know, it also goes to, um, you know, a lot of security companies and the industry as a whole. I mean, certainly one of the things we think about Tone Lovin and is, it, you know, a lot of the companies are, you know, able to tap into sort of a, a, a bigger mission. And there is a, there's a role to play on sort of the protection of society and the, the protection of, you know, in, in the case of the supply chain and the ports, you know, that, that's sort of critical infrastructure. That's, you know, all of the goods and services, the physical goods and services flowing in. And I think it's a great example of where cyber is kind of touching everything, right? It's 
people wouldn't think of, you know, the the shipments coming into the ports as a cybersecurity issue, right. let alone then multi-party sharing. Well, well, companies already share. They share, they share demand and supply signals. They share updates on order management. When, when are things going to hit a port? When are things going to hit a truck? When are things on the train to the store or the warehouse? So companies already share data. Um, what you know? So it's it's a, it's easy for companies and supply chains to think about sharing cybersecurity signals. And I so I think that'll be a great area. Um, and and I think that the again the broader tie-in for cyber to the ISACs in general and be able to tie into sort of the collective security mission I think is fantastic. Yeah, really, really good points. It's a, it's certainly, it's certainly interesting. And, um, you know, the, again, it's like the different industries that you can touch through partnering with ISACs is, is really interesting. And I, I love the unique capability, obviously for, for, for marketing means, because we've got, we've got customer references, we've got built-in customer references with the ISACs too, but um, back to 1011. So like, when you think about, you talked a little bit about what you'd like about Anuj's background. He used to work at City. He was looking for technology that he ended up going and just building with Akshat. What do you, what else do you, what else do you look for in terms of entrepreneurs, founders in, in cybersecurity? Give us another, give us another example, if you could, of maybe just a totally, like someone who came from a completely opposite um, opposite end of the earth to, that you know, all of a sudden stumbled into cyber. Yeah, it's interesting. The, 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 the cyber entrepreneurs actually have more in common um, than any sort of adjective you could use to, to make them different, right? Technical background, a lot of cyber entrepreneurs are from CTO engineering, uh, CISO or the customer side of technology or the vendor side of technology world. Um, a lot of them are, you know, have grown up into management. And so they've, they, they've managed engineers. Uh, they maybe haven't figured out the, the second parts. And a lot of what we built 1011 around is um, sort of everything else, right? We don't get in and help with code. And we were going through the Cyware Thomas, you'll note that we didn't sort of suggest a few places to put it uh, on some new sets of code in for you guys, sort of thought you had that handled. And that's pretty common in the security world. The technology <laughs> and architecture is, is pretty well designed by the entrepreneurs themselves and thought of. It's the other stuff I'm building a business, right? It's fundraising, it's managing a board, it's things as simple as HR that's appropriate for your size. In scale, what do you do at 50 people versus 100 versus 200 versus 500? When when should we open up a European office and should we go to? Well, I guess we go to the UK first, right? Well, let's let's talk about some of the pros and cons of that stuff. Marketing, I, I, I not just because you're the uh, head of marketing here, Tom, for Cyware, but honestly, marketing and security is something when we are evaluating companies how they think about marketing is so important. And, and a lot of that is because the industry is very crowded. Um, it has a lot of entrenched incumbents that, that have strong brands, recognizable brands and strong channels of distribution where they can move product through. And a lot of times feature function differentiation doesn't matter in, in the growth and later stages and people can put stuff in boxes and in brands and in, in, in cloud sites and, and a lot of people just buy it. And we, we are very aware that innovators have to be able to disrupt that, right? And, and the, the way you can disrupt isn't just on product feature function, right? There's got to be more. And, and so that in the, 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 we look for cyber entrepreneurs that have a mindset and understanding they're going to need a sustained investment in sales and marketing channels uh, that, that goes, you know, typically over multiple years. It isn't a, you know, we're going to whipsaw and do product marketing only, and we're going to do the feature function matrix against the two competitors. A lot, you, you need to do a lot more to take a successful technology from 20 customers to 200 on the way to 2,000 and 20,000. And really, we look for that mindset of someone who, want, who understands that and wants to do something bigger. And is, is, it's a self-awareness of their own strengths, weaknesses, and they're looking for that help. Um, other things, partnerships, corporate development, alliances, you know, the, the importance of the HR function, which is, you know, getting a lot of uh, notoriety in the world that we've always believed good companies have to have self-aware 
leaders. They, they have to be able to take feedback from their staff. They have to be able to hire and project well. You know, if you have fatal flaws in, in a culture of a company, it'll, it'll never work. It's, it'll fundamentally never work. And so we sort of look at everything else around the code and the products. We, we sort of sample that. And I think what we do is we do it in a way that's appropriate for the stage you're at. And that goes back to, you know, what you do at a seed in two people is different than, you know, a 2000 person company. And we kind of have a good uh, lens on the industry and what is and isn't the right things to be focused on and doing at an A, a B, a C in cyber. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys really have exposure to a, to almost a large ecosystem, a larger ecosystem than your average investor, particularly in cyber, just because the nature that you can plug in at any, at any stage, really. So that's, that's super interesting, Alex. Um, let's cover one more question and then we'll, we'll, then we'll dig down into our, into our rapid fire round or our lightning round. Uh -oh. I, forget, <laughs> I, I forget, I forget what I call that. Yeah, no, our rapid fire round, but you know, I think one of the obligatory questions and I'm not asking it just to ask it, but like, you know, your perspective would be great on, okay, we're, we're a year into COVID and it's changed work. It's changed um, investment. It's changed technology. It's changed perceptions. What, what have you seen relative to the market and this industry um, in terms of either it, what I would say is maybe a short-term impact and a long-term impact of, of how COVID has impacted 1011? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things you mentioned, certainly all true with us, our firm, but really our portfolio companies more broadly, all, things all true. We, we've had a few companies that, you know, uh, it's really impacted, you know, just, I, I'd say we, at the beginning of COVID, we used to talk about the barbell, <laughs> sort mm -hmm. of where there was going to be opportunity. So, so or it'd be not a bad time at the beginning of COVID to be a seed, where you're in a year of building a new product. Right. Or you're already an established brand at the other end of the spectrum in a barbell and you're just, you, you know, you're renewing, you're landing and expanding and, 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 and sorry, you're expanding into a healthy size customer base already. Those, those were probably safer areas in the middle, right? Where you were probably the worst thing to be stepping into COVID was you had finished your product, you had two reference customers you had just raised an A round and you were about to go start selling marketing, creating awareness that you exist. Cause the world, you know, so the sales and marketing functions had to fundamentally redo themselves, right? I mean, I, right. one of the things we looked at was the engineering less so, right? People were already checking in code from geographically dispersed areas, tapping into lower cost geographies already. That was pretty common and it is common across portfolio sales and marketing just fundamentally changed, right? It, when COVID hit. And I, I don't know if some of it will go back to the way it was before, right? I think there'll be some enduring changes because of that. Um, you know, I think uh, the face-to-face the, the, the -face meetings, calling on lots of plane rides and face-to-face -face meetings and calling on the customers, you know, to a degree that never goes away, mm -hmm. but I think the, the amount of it, I think will be less than was before COVID. You know, I think all that, all that stuff is true. I, I think we're coming out of, I think one of the positives COVID, I think caused everybody, I think everyone at a human level, and but even companies fo focus in on what you do well, what's important, um, who are you really? <laughs> Uh, yeah. A lot of self-introspection went on. And I think, you know, to the extent people do that in a positive way and, and in a constructive way, I think that'll be good. I, I guess probably the longer term thing, you know, and this is maybe is a big societal thing. I think it proved the importance of innovation, right? One of the things, and it, certainly it's on the, the virus side and, and the, the um, vaccine development and the importance of pharmaceuticals, but just what a triumph of innovation, what a triumph of entrepreneur, your spirit, what a triumph of human beings that what we've, the, the, the magnitude of the task we took on. And, you know, it would appear as we're the day to this, it would appear we're headed to where we, we we're probably going to win against the virus. You know, we got some time to go, <laughs> but the end game looks like we, we might have, have won here and figured it out. And, I think that, I, I hope that's the enduring lesson. And we talk about that a lot, even in, in cyber, right? The, 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 the need for 
humans, the, the optimism of the human being, the optimism of the entrepreneur. And one of the most rewarding things working at 1011 is we, we get to deal with entrepreneurs, right? They're thinking about disruption. They're, they tend to be incredibly optimistic people. And, you know, I think watching in a different sort of arena, the biopharmaceutical arena, uh, the, the triumph of human beings and the scientists and in innovation, I, I think that's just amazing for the world and i and i hope other areas that are innovation led are inspired by it and tap into it and you know i i certainly hope the cybersecurity industry that we take those lessons and run with them yeah well well stated i think it's you know it's it's been remarkable seeing the the level of innovation not only just in cyber alex but other areas outside of cyber which have had to completely refactor exactly how they're making drugs how they're how they're designing a supply chain, how they're designing new modeling to not even just produce drugs, but to get, how do you get enough people, how do you get enough human beings into trials to be able to see whether or not a drug will be successful or, you know, or will end up killing people. So I think having life on the line too has really produced really succinct um, innovation that's, you know, that, that mirrors in a way cyber, right? Because you, when you you said it earlier, it's it comes down to speed and agility. When you're when you're when you need threat intelligence, when you need information, and you put something together that's supposed to protect the business. Um, really, really, really cool stuff. Um, yeah, thank you for thank you for this. I think we'll let's move into our rapid fire round, where right. we have we've got ten <laughs> random questions here, Alex, and uh, okay. I'll go. Sometimes, sometimes I'll give, I'll lend my perspective on these two, but we're, say, you're going to answer with me, right? Uh, I'll answer with you. I've got, all right, good, good. I've got thoughts on all of these. All right. Okay. Here we go. All right. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, I'm Star Wars. Star Wars. Same here. Uh, have not gotten into the Mandalorian yet, but uh, it's, it's on our list. Um, we're just about to finish Queen's Gambit. Nah, that's um, a good one too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, Better investing app, Robinhood or Stash? Uh, Robinhood. <laughs> All right. So I just I just took out a Stash account and oh, I, and it's here. and it's kind of and it's kind of cool. Um, they they do some things a little bit differently, but yeah, Stash for me. All right, remote work, love it or hate it? Early on, loved it. I'm I'm growing to hate it. Um, I I miss seeing people. I can't wait to to actually get out of it. May, maybe not as much as we did before. But um, early on, love getting a little long in the tooth, growing into hate. I'm in the same boat. Lo loved it early on because it was, you could avoid a commute into the city or wherever you were going, where you felt like you weren't spending productive time. But now it's, I miss seeing people as well too. I miss our events. I miss, you know, I miss, I miss being able to get out there and just, you know, go to a different place and, you know, have a dinner with somebody and, you know, talk some shop and, you know, just kind of, it, it was just, it was a little bit more social. And I think the monotony sometimes of being at home can just, you know, make you start to climb the walls. So I'm, I'm in the same boat. All right. What's a worse influence on the youth of today, Alex, TikTok or Roblox? <laughs> oh, um, so I, I happen to have two sons and two daughters and I was torn on this because in my family, at least, uh, it sort of follows what you might imagine would be gender lines here, but the video games, the boys, so Roblox is far worse influence on, on the boys and video games in general. And then on the TikTok for the girls. So <laughs> I, I think they're, I'm two, two, and they, they're all terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have, uh, having two girls, I'm going to go with TikTok. You're going to be on um, the TikTok side. Is my I'm, go that right? <laughs> I'm, go I'm going, I'm going, I'm going TikTok because it's just that the, you know, they, they live their life through it. Like they, I drop my kids off at soccer and they get out of the car and every girl you see lined up that's ready to go play. They're all doing different TikToks. So it's like, everybody's trying to best each other on how good that TikTok dance can be. And it's, you know, <laughs> I've never seen anything like it. All right. Um, we're bo we both we both like hoops. We both play hoops. NBA or NCAA basketball? Not even close for me. Uh, NCAA. Love, okay. love the college sporting game. Uh, and I, I grew up in a college town, uh, University of Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor. Uh, and if 
follow all my college teams and the kids' college teams. Watch, you know, I probably watched a hundred college basketball games this year. Don't tell anybody. I watched them fast on recording. <laughs> and I've watched like maybe less than three NBA games. So that there's easy. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you can, you know, there's, you need something to do during board meetings. Right. So um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would um, never do that. I would never do that. Uh, I'm going to go with NBA. I've been NBA junkie. I have been since I was a kid. Part of the reason for that is yes, I might live in Massachusetts now, Alex, but I'm from Rhode Island. Um, we had, we had a decent college team at URI and we had some yeah, decent right. college teams at Providence college too. I went to both, I went to camps at both colleges, but it would just always seem to, you know, I, I grew up in the, in the Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish era of the Celtics. And I just sort of never turned back. And it's just always been NBA for me, particularly bubble play. That yeah. was, that was pretty impressive. All right. Spot for, for things like podcasts, like what we're doing today. Spotify or Apple? I'm still in the Apple camp. I, I'm, I'm an Apple fan in general. I, I sort of value all the integration, all the other Apple stuff, right? And they, they, they try to leave it all separate, but Apple has integrated a lot of things uh, very tightly. I'm still in Apple. I'm still in the Apple camp. Okay. Uh, I think I'm still in the Apple camp, but I'm starting to I'm starting to use Spotify and actually the, the, the best entree into Spotify was signing in with my Apple ID and I was in, um, and I, and I, and I thought that was pretty slick. So I'm still Apple for sure. Um, okay. The freeze unicorn. Do you love it? Or are you just sick of it at this point? I, I am kind of sick of the phrase. Uh, I thought it was clever when it first came out. It was kind of funny and clever you know, of course, love it when uh, one of the portfolio companies actually gets to talk about it or use it. And, uh, you know, knock on wood, we'll look back on this and we'll, we'll uh, uh, talk about the day Cyware became a unicorn, maybe next week, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> however long it takes. So, uh, but, uh, you know, when, when the companies get to a meaningful milestone, such as a billion dollar valuation for the company, it, it is meaningful, right? Milestones matter for the companies and it's nice. It, it, we, we might need a new one, right? Maybe we need a new one for uh, for uh, the venture industry and private companies. Yeah, maybe something like, uh, maybe just something like 1B. Yeah, we're a, we're a 1B, right? I mean, it's kind of synonymous, right? In terms of in terms of the valuation of a company. I'm, I'm a little sick of it as well too, but I'm certainly hoping for unicorn status uh, as an achievement here at, at, at Cyware. All right, cryptocurrency. All in or stay away? I'm all in. I'm, I'm a believer in cryptocurrency. Um, some of that goes back to the PGP days, you know, the, the underlying cryptography for secure email, public private key pairs, and distributed keys, all that. Some of that's at the base of how the blockchain and the, 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 um, the trust of distributed trust protocols like blockchain work. Um, I'm, I'm a fan. At the end of the day, it's also sort of back to the, do you believe in innovation? I, I believe in math. I believe in innovation. I believe in sort of software code. I think it's it sort of blockchain and some of the digital currencies are proof of that, that, you know, you can trust in math and science. And the innovation that you're believing in is that math and science, as long as two plus two equals four, your account is there. You don't have to rely on a bank to tell you it's there. And so uh, I, a little bit idealistic and I have been skeptical over the years it would break through. I, I think it's achieved escape velocity as we sit here today. I think it's very real. Um, I think it, it will continue to be very disruptive force in the world. Right on. Per personal investment wise, I, I have stayed away from it, um, but but I'm all in on moving this Understandable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. For many Understandable. reasons. It's a little bit of rocket fuel, definitely <laughs> high vol, yeah. high volatility stuff. Oh yes. But uh, yeah, but in, in general, in principle, I, I, I completely support it. And I agree with the, with the, with the comments around innovation with respect to crypto. All right. Streaming options at home. Are you, are you over five or are you under five? W way over five. Now family okay. is six granted. And I just pay the bill, but you know, on half of them, but uh, we're way over five, sadly. <laughs> Same here. Only a family of four, but we're definitely over five. Um, but certainly uh, Hulu, Netflix, HBO Max, ESPN Plus, uh, Prime, Apple TV, 
So I think, yeah, I think we, I think we're at about, I think we're at about six, possibly seven. We have all those too. Everyone you just mentioned, we have as well. Oh boy. And if you get, and if you gotten rid of cable as well? Uh, not so much because of live sports, <laughs> right? So there's still the live sports need. So we have Fubo as well, which does, has the, the some live sports streamings that's, that aren't able to be accessed on some of the other ones. Most of the streaming, that's the Achilles heel of most of the streaming still is they, they don't get you the live, the benefit of live sports. It's March Madness, college hoops we were just talking about earlier. Right. You know, uh, even being able to watch, you know, out of market NFL games and stuff like that. Some of the, some of that stuff is still only available through either cable, direct TVs, whatever. Um, I think some of the streaming companies are starting to get the rights. I think it'll be interesting to watch in the next five years. Will Amazon and the big streaming companies go in and buy some live sports? That to me is the big dynamic in this world. Yeah, it sure it sure is, and especially when you know sports did go away. I think people were so happy to have sports come back, and it makes it, you know, it's like you kind of just it takes your mind off of everything else that's happening. You know, it what's been a pretty crazy last uh, eighteen months, but. Um, most impressive final question of the rapid fire round um most impressive about mars seeing the landscapes and the different discoveries now that they're showing on a daily basis or the fact that we're just getting real real coverage of of from you know via satellite from mars yeah this is almost like engineering versus my right right brain left brain right is uh, mm -hmm. uh the if, if they're they're both i mean so amazing uh I think the fact that, you know, the, the architecture and the fact that we can get signals back from Mars, that just blows my mind still, right? And then when you, when you see them, it is sort of like, whoa, holy moly, what the, like, that's just amazing. So um, I don't know, I, I am a little more amazed with the fact that we can actually get a video signal on earth over the internet from mars that blows me away if you go try and trace where that signal is going and all the places it it might bounce through or transmit go. right it's kind of amazing it's a it's it's amazing i'm in the same camp that it's like you know i mean we we haven't experienced any blips on on either your or my wi-fi today but like if we did this tomorrow we probably would and right. the fact that they can get that level of coverage um you know from from mars and, and think about, and I guess the other thing too is getting that coverage, seeing different areas of Mars and knowing that there's, there's, there's more surface area than the earth on Mars to explore, like considerably more. So like, what else are we going to see? I think is really what I'm looking forward to. It's just like, it's just super cool. And having a, uh, you know, Space Isaac is a customer of, of Cyware and just hearing some of the stories around what some of the what some of the cyber risks and challenges are in the space industry um we talked about transportation and marine wow th those are interesting too so probably some more probably some more coming out of out of sci uh, out of cyware and our partnership with the isex on that but yeah super cool stuff well thank you for spending the time with me today alex i mean honestly so much fun as usual and you know i think that for for our listeners out there certainly just your perspective on innovation, cyber, um, and what's really driving at the heart of this industry, really important. And I'm glad that we could, uh, I'm glad we could do this. I'm glad you could spend some time with us. We could get this out there. Thank you so much, Tom. It's great to be uh, reconnected with you. And uh, we're just thrilled to be investors in Cyware. Uh, look forward to the journey together. Sure thing. Thank you very much, Alex. We'll see everybody next time on the next Cybercast.